Hello, wherever you are in the world today, welcome to Beyond the Art in our series, The Stories That Carry Us. I'm your host, Craig Beaumont Flynn, a citizen of the Cherokee Nation and the Delaware Tribe of Indians. In each episode, we will discuss with various Native American artists, influencers, art leaders, and everyone in between their experiences, the communities they serve, and the translation and interpretation of the Native American art world today. Welcome to Beyond the Yard, and today we have Tony Enos. Welcome to the show, Tony. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So why don't you go ahead and just start off the bat and tell us a little bit about your journey and your artistic endeavor and a little bit sure. about your cultural heritage. Sure thing. Tony Enos. Greetings. My name is Tony Enos. Many blessings from the Ishota Cherokee tribe and from Philly, from South Philly. Uh, <laughs> I've been a singer-songwriter, a producer, and a musician-composer professionally. Uh, for, I guess it's uh, 15 years? Since 2008, uh, okay. I started a, my own local label in Philadelphia um, and been releasing music professionally professionally under uh, that label ever since. Um, so uh, I always you know, like to uh, hold space <laughs> in my artistry uh, as a person living with HIV, as a two-spirit artist and musician, um, and as a multi-ethnic um, uh, person just trying to foster love and, and and empower folks to just you know to be better for themselves right. in, in whatever way they feel is healthy as best I can. So, what took you to your musical endeavor and your musical direction to become a, mus- a musician, an artist, a singer, songwriter? Well, I actually come from a long line of musicians. Uh, my mom's father was a doo-wop singer with Columbia Records back in the, oh, wow. <laughs> it was the 50s or 60s. One of those, yeah. Yeah. And then they had uh, six kids. So that kind of was, you know, it didn't give way to being a fan. He worked two jobs, rest his soul to, to support the family and everything. Uh, my dad's dad played guitar and, and sang. Um, I play guitar now uh, and just enough piano to produce a record, but I would never play piano live. <laughs> you know, you could cheat in the studio. Um, so just always uh, loved uh, music and, and singing. I uh, started writing when I was 11. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents took me to see, uh, he was a local producer, um, with one of the local TV stations. And I was 11. And he said to me, do, do you write music? And I was like, no. <laughs> in my head, I was like, why would I do that? You know, in my head, all these people that I had seen, all these artists that I look up right. to didn't write their own music. And he said to me, if you want to be taken seriously, you need to start writing your own music. And I tried and was horrible at it for a really long time. Mm-hmm. But eventually I got into the swing of it, uh, started writing my own music. Um, at 16, I signed with a local label in Philly. Uh, they didn't want me to record my own music. Of course, you know, they wanted me to record their music so right. that they could keep all the royalties and all that. It was just a really bad fit. Uh, so I asked to be let out of the contract. Uh, it was a three-year contract. Had to agree not to record an industry for three years to be let out of the contract. So I sat for three years and I was like, this is really stupid. <laughs> I'll never do this again. I'll never put it in somebody else's hands, you know. So that's when I decided to start my own uh, small label in Philly. And what's the name of your label? Lil T Entertainment LLC. Okay. Yeah, because I'm, you know, Tony and I'm I'm only 5'6", so <laughs> I don't think, I feel like Big T would be a, a, a false advertisement. <laughs> <laughs> well, they would never know, you know. <laughs> how, is, how has your Native American identity influenced your work? Uh, tremendously. I think especially in the socio-political uh, aspect and awareness of my work. Um, coming into community over 10 years ago, uh, I guess it really opened my eyes to, you know, the reality of the land that we are existing on right mm-hmm. now um, and how it has, in, you know, the present doesn't exist in a vacuum away from the past. Correct. I think there's, right. I think growing up in Philly too, when you ride through certain neighborhoods, certain places, and you see disenfranchised communities, I always tell people, realize that they're that way for a reason. It's very intentional mm-hmm. uh, and it's very systemic. It's very systematic. Um, so I, I think it's, you know, that all really uh, being a, an indigenous two-spirit artist was sort of the um, the catalyst for that awareness of my work. Mm-hmm. Uh, could, 
tell us a little about your artistic process and how you come up with the songs. And is, uh, is it dreams? Is it just a <laughs> tune? Is it, you know? Sometimes it is. It's, it's interesting when you get a song, I would say it just wanted to be written. It just woke right. me up and mostly, but sometimes I will, you know, songs will come in, in a dream and I jump up now. I've learned that I just have to, you know, if I don't get it on, on uh, my voice recorder now on my phone, I'll regret it later. <laughs> um, sometimes uh, I have a song called, <laughs> I have a song called Joshua that's on the new album. And, um, I had come home, this is just kind of how silly my brain is. I had come home one night and my mom was on the phone with somebody talking about American Idol. And she said, yeah, all the good ones went home. This one and that one and Joshua. And my dad said, who? And she went, Joshua. And it was just the way she lifted her voice that right. second time. Just something clicked. And I ran upstairs and grabbed my guitar and so I wrote the song Joshua that's on the album now. So it could be really intentional or just something silly that will grab my ear and I'll think, wow, if I need that a little, you know, kind of like you need dough. <laughs> right, <laughs> if I right, need that right. a little bit, I, I think that could be something good. So yeah, that that's, I don't have any real magic to report, unfortunately. It just, <laughs> you know, it could be random or, you know. You identify as a two-spirit off- artist. So how does that incorporate into your music as well? And tell us what being a two-spirit artist means to you. Sure. Um, I think uh, cultivating awareness uh, is, is important. Uh, I really believe representation matters. Um, you know, the, the term two spirit and sort of the reclamation movement, um, isn't that old. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I think, you know, again, representation matters, representation matters, representation matters. Um, so I like to, uh, empower other two spirit folks through my music. Um, just sort of to, you know, again, to take that place, take that place, that sacred place. Um, you know, we always say that this, the hoop, the sacred hoop will be broken until two spirits are welcome back in. Um, and I kind of take that saying for face value. And then there's the, the part of me that goes, well, why are we waiting to be welcomed back right. in? Like, let's take, our, let's take our place. So I do like to empower folks through my music. Yeah. And how is that two-spirit identity incorporated into your music? Are, are, yours, are there storylines that you're trying to express and translate so others that are Two-Spirit can understand where you're coming from? or So I have a song called Two-Spirit, mm-hmm. which is basically just about that. It's about, you know, re- reclaiming that place. And then other songs are um, just about sort of uh, having agency over yourself. I think mm-hmm. that's important, I think, for any individual. But then I think as uh, Indigenous folks, there's been a lot of... Um, personal disenfranchisement or whatever. You, right. get, you know, a lot of like holding down of one spirit systematically and, and by the government and different things. So I, I think it's really important to uh, empower other two-spirit folks uh, through my music. So that's what I try to try to do, whether it's, uh, I think at the end of the day, the common thread is love. Mm-hmm. So whether that's love for yourself, for your nation, uh, for, for the earth, you know, and, and, and that relationship and, and everything that it gives us. But I think uh, love is the, is the common thread at the end of the day. So tell us a little bit about your current album, Indestructible, and sure. how that came about. Uh, so I, I think it's, I like to call it, it's a survivor's album. Uh, <laughs> so it's like, you know, a little bit of a, of a Phoenix story, and it was the follow-up to my, uh, my album, uh, Entitled Positive, and I kind of used that as a catalyst to come out publicly about my uh, HIV status. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to just kind of follow, again, it's just, re- it's a very empowering album. Um, and uh I hope something that'll just be good medicine for folks and that'll lift folks up. Uh, the song Indestructible is a cover of, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Robin. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it's a cover of, of her song. And I just thought it was a really nice message when I heard the song. And I, I talked to my sister. I was like, this, this is a great song. I, I should have heard it. You know, I, I can't even remember what the album was going to be called before I had heard the song. Uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a Survivor's album and a little bit of a Phoenix story, you know. Rising, yeah, he's yes. rising, rising from the ashes. <laughs> yeah, so, when you start formatting your album and you have all these songs, is there a base storyline you're trying to project to the listener, or is it just what you think is incorporated overall into that album? Uh, it obviously varies from album to album. Um, with Positive, the album before that, um, I really wanted to uplift the narrative of uh, a person living with HIV. Mm-hmm. It's kind of going through all those colors and those feelings that sort of, uh, I kind of like to introduce an idea, right. work through the emotions and the colors 
Probably still goes like this. It's a bit of a, <laughs> I don't know what you would call that, an arc, a swing a, or a swing, arc, yeah. an upside down arc, or, you know. Um, and that's sort of coming out the other side of it. And so with, um, with Indestructible, it was really sort of about the growing up gay experience. Um, and there's a, an interlude on there with my family talking mm-hmm. about, you know, just offering good words for people who, families who have a loved one who has just come out, how to maybe process through it, through it, uh, how to be there for that person. Um, and then I, I think coming into your own is very important. It's been important for me mm-hmm. uh, as an individual and as a person. And uh, so coming into your own and exercising a, a sense of agency. And so it was two covers. It was that one. And then uh, the album closes with a cover of uh, Glory Gaynor's I Will Survive. So it's a very oh, it's eclectic, a yeah. And everything is like there's, you know, there's kind of bluegrass, country, uh, oh, wow. pop, hip hop. Uh, but it, it's a pop record at the end of the day. So I enjoy that um, that fusion of of everything. So do you classify yourself in a certain genre? I mean, I always say pop. I like yeah. to stay under that umbrella because I feel like it gives me a lot of uh, freedom to to explore. And I, I like being a pop artist. Yeah. Is there, can you describe any challenge you face as a Native American artist or a two-spirit artist and how you overcome those challenges? Sure. And what uh, advice would you give someone that's going through the same experiences? You know, I think to thine own self be true. You, you have to be who you are. Um, I think as a pop musician, mm-hmm. um, when I, uh, people hear, when you're presented as a, a Native artist, especially I think to non-native folks, people are ready for you to come in with the flute and the breechcloth on. Right, right. And that's not my native. Right. And so then to a lot of folks, I'm not native enough. Um, and I could certainly take the energy and time to, to fight that, but I would never get anything done. Yeah. So I just stick to my own guns and I'm true to myself. And I think at the end of the day, I just, I want to record music that I like. Uh, you know, when I first was coming up, I was getting all this advice from until I really got my own feet under me and and really found my own voice. You should sound like this and you should look like this. And you should go, now I just want to make music that I like, that I enjoy. And you know, when other people get it and when right. they dig it too, that's that's what makes it so cool. And you, you know, you kind of find kindred spirits in that in that right. sense. So well, like, it pleases your heart and soul. And that's yes. what's really important. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, I think now in this stage, it's really about making music that I like, that I enjoy. And then usually, you know, I have to tour with it and perform it. So, mm-hmm. you know, it would really suck to, you know, <laughs> do songs you're like, I have to, to have to do this song again or whatever. So yeah, I, I want to enjoy it myself too. So in the music industry, in the recording industry, and in big labels, do you see a lot of challenges with them as well, given that there's not a huge amount of Native American artists on the radio play? Absolutely. And I think the default, at least that I can only speak for myself, but what my experience has been with labels and then with people who I have had conversations, some managed managers and management mm-hmm. companies is right away. They want to h- kind of hypersexualize. Right. Um, and I do use my body and my sexuality in my work, but it's, it's my doing, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? It's not at the, I'm not being forced yeah. to present in a certain right. way or form. This is your, this is your persona and and i could also take care in that you know there was this uh one guy who was like we're going to make you the female the male pocahontas and i was i was like i don't even know where to begin (laughs) with him to let him know why that yeah and it just uh, with along with a bunch of other crazy stuff like in the contract they wanted 51 percent of my record company the voting share so yeah so that they couldn't tell me to do something and then i come back as the record company and say no we're not doing that they wanted me to outright sign my whole catalog of music over to them which at that point was 10 years um so they would just you know get all the rights Mm. so um yes it's very (laughs) (laughs) it can be very and yeah and i think uh especially for i i speak with a lot of uh Native artists who, and young folks Mm -hmm. who are just coming into their own. And I, I try to give them, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, but I just try to make them aware of the the pitfalls, I think, especially for Native artists and what the industry is prone to doing Mm -hmm. because of their formulas that they like to have and, you know, with how they like to uh, treat Native artists often. So what motivates (laughs) you, inspires you as a musician and performing artist? I mean, I just love what I do. I really, really, truly love 
You, you know, mm-hmm. I don't say I am many things um, because I am that I am, that I am a musician. It really just is something that's ingrained. You know, like my spirit must be a guitar. <laughs> you know, it's just, it just it is who I am. So I just really do genuinely uh, love music and I love performing. Um, but then I think there's there's just a certain, so again, again, that, that common thread is love. Right. That's that motivation. If I can foster a little bit of love um, and maybe open that or, or offer that to someone mm-hmm. or um, help somebody find it, whatever, whatever that looks like. But to, to me, that's what makes it all worth it. So collaboration is, and community are important aspects of indigenous cultures. How, have you collaborated with other artists and worked with them on stuff? Yeah. Uh, Roger Coons, okay. uh, who is uh, Porch Creek. Right, uh, and he's been a singer songwriter producer for he, he's an incredible artist, an incredible songwriter, an incredible talent. Um, so I've I've collaborated with him. Uh, I don't know. I feel like I'm blacking out on other people. <laughs> I, I I I have had the uh, extreme honor and privilege of of working with not only in you know the uh, music industry, but in theater mm-hmm. and in New York, uh, some amazing indigenous. Uh, Artists, Joan Henry, uh, John Scott Richardson. So there's, it's been uh, a bl- just a blessing, you know, to to share space with those people. Right, right. So tell us about your new upcoming album that's going to be released. So uh, the new album is called The Boss. <laughs> and it comes, it is a cover of the 1979 uh, <laughs> Diana Ross song, The Boss. A few little updates here and there. Um, and it comes out in 2026. Okay. Because that, will be the 20, my 20 year anniversary. I always say HIV has been living with me for 10 years. I've heard, uh, I think it's 17 years now. So HIV has been living with me for 17 years. I'm the boss. I'll always be the boss. Right. So that was how we decided that that should be, Fantastic. you know, a cover in the name of the song. And again, it just really kind of, I like that Phoenix theme. So mm-hmm. it's another Phoenix album, you know, sort of the, the rising from the, the ashes. So 2026. So you yeah. had some time to actually really dive deep and create various storylines and songs. And how did you do that process? And can you share some of those songs with us? Sure. Again, I felt like there was an idea that I wanted to present. Uh, The album opens with a song called Pride. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's really, there's a great line. It says, I don't, I don't look up to no one, but I don't look down on no one either. Um, So it's really just sort of, again, presenting this idea of, of agency, having agency Mm -hmm. over oneself. Um, and then it goes back a little bit sort of into the muck of things. And then we emerge. You <laughs> know, come out. Stronger, right, better right. At, at the end. Yeah. And it's also a, a real opportunity. I wanted to take a chance to say thank you um, to the people that have uh, really been there for me and supported me and showed me love. And so there's there's some songs on this uh, album that mm-hmm. uh, just say thank you. Um, and then some other themes, spirituality. Um, uh, all the all those good phoenix things right. that give way to the rising, you know, right. to exalting one's spirit and one's heart. So, how do you, or what elements do you incorporate your heritage and cultural background as a, a, a Cherokee artist as well as a two spirit artist? How do you kind of tie that into the songs that you develop and think, okay, well, this is more of a pop song. This is more about me as being a HIV positive person, mm-hmm. or this is more about two spirit, or this is about this. I mean, how do you? Right. Decipher all that into your head. Right. <laughs> all at once. <laughs> well, it's interesting that you should say that because, you know, you write a song in a particular way. You know, music's kind of like surgery. Sometimes you don't mm. know what it's going to be like until you get in there. Right, right. And so just because you have an idea doesn't mean it's going to work. So sometimes I was like, yeah, and we're going to do this and it'll be like that. And then you go to do it and you're like, ah, this actually, this doesn't work. It sounds <laughs> crazy. Um, but I think from a, a, a native perspective and what I try to incorporate, um, you know, I think things that... Um, Things that could be pan-indigenous, mm-hmm. uh, lots of wayaheyas. And, you know, like when you right. go to a powwow and hear the wayaheyas songs, you know, everybody kind of knows what that is yeah. and, and, and is, is with it and it's on the, the same page. Um, soundscapes are important. So uh, instruments that I choose, percussion in, in particular. Um, again, I think if you went to a, a powwow, everybody knows those grass dancer bells. Yep. Um, and then as a, a traditional dancer, a Southeastern Woodland Tribe, you know, I wear my deer, my deer toes. So that kind of clacking sound. So I think creating soundscapes that I hate to say would sound audibly native, Mm -hmm. but that would sound audibly native for lack of a better term. Well, that was going to be my next question is how do you bridge traditional and contemporary elements and how do you navigate the balance between 
honoring your cultural traditions and expressing your individual artistic vision, mm-hmm. you know, um, be it in the direction of being a two spirit or this or that, how do you navigate in, in those lanes, I guess. Right. Uh, again, all I can ever really do is take accountability and responsibility for myself and my own happiness, mm-hmm. my own health, my own sense of agency. So the things that are true for me, um, the things that feel good to me, um, that feel effective right. um, as an artist and as a producer, I'm always fascinated when I come across something that was done effectively and that moves the needle or the bar in the industry. And then mm-hmm. you see it replicated time and time again in the industry because it was done so effectively. So I'm I'm always watching. I'm always looking for those things. But again, I'm always just true to myself and and what feels good to me. What what makes me happy? So really, I think centering my own joy right. is the that's the center. I center my own joy and I center my own um, sense of agency in, in all of it. So, given technology, how do you get airplane now? How, do you still have to go out on the road and do tours and little gigs? And do you have to send the albums to radio? What's what's the process? You know, it's one of the things that has been an Achilles heel for me in particular, mm-hmm. um, because I'm just not fond of the way radio, you know, there's a saying right now, uh, hits aren't made, they're created. Like they're not made in the studio, they're mm-hmm. created by the radio stations. Right. Um, you know, the stations that are being paid to play someone's record every hour on the hour. You don't even like the song, but right. you know it. <laughs> You know, by the end of the work week that you've driven that five days and you've heard that song every hour on the hour and here you are singing. So it's, um, I just kind of let everything in divine order. Um, And so, you know, now it's about playlists, you know, Spotify playlists Mm -hmm. and and all that. Um, So I, when I have a new record that comes out and then I think it has legs, you know, I'll send it out to, again, the DJs that that want to play it, that Mm -hmm. have been supportive to me and, um, if there's someone that I come across that I think we uh, have maybe a, a, a something in common or whatever, I'll, I'll give it to them. But it's it's really been about forming relationships with those individual DJs because the corporate side of it sucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, do you have a huge stockpile of songs? I mean, what's your process when you have an idea? Do you just write down a few words? Do you instantly start writing that song? And do you put it away until it comes back to you? I kind of feel guilty because I have some really beautiful writing journals that people yeah. have bought, you know, gifted me over over time. And I can't remember the last time I sat with pen and paper. <laughs> you know, everything is on my, you know, right. on my iPhone, notes on notes on my. It's funny when I'm looking for like a a chord chart. You know, I I write it, so I write the lyrics out. Uh-huh. I like to finish it in one shot if I can. Some things I feel like I'm forcing it or I'm forcing it to be something. So that's when I'll go. Let's put that away until. It, comes to me genuinely because mm-hmm. I'm forcing it to try and sound like this or trying right. to force it that way. But I do like to finish it in one shot if I can. And then I'll put the chords in there too. So I know what key I'm supposed to be singing it in. Um, and so, yeah, so to that, if I, I'm always surprised when I go back to my notes, I'm like, I can create a chord chart for that one. <laughs> what was I thinking? But yep, everything is on my, on my iPhone and uh, uh, it's, it is, it's all digital and, ele- and electronic these days, but that's the process. I'll right. grab my guitar and, uh, I also have a piano on my phone, a little piano app. Okay. So if I'm on the train or on the airplane. <laughs> going like exactly. Yeah. Like a crazy bird. People must be like, what is he doing? Because, you know, the keys are so tiny. Right. It's on your phone. And I'm trying to, you know, but uh, so, yeah, that that's the process. So do you look back a lot from the first album to your current that one that's coming out? Do you kind of look at it and like, OK, this is my journey. Where am I going to go next? Or you just, again, take that natural natural transition and just let it flow. And do you see the difference of, wow, I was this person yeah. and now I'm this person. And do you ever self-reflect a lot? I'm a, a, I like to self-reflect and spiritually reflect a lot. Um, I don't like to have an exercise in ego. Mm-hmm. So I really try to be aware of that um, and not to engage in that too much. Cause I feel like ego just chokes off all the creativity. Right. Right. Um, so I, I like to reflect just a little bit, but I, the, the point of power is always in the present moment. So I like to notice the growth that of course, I mean, it's all you could ever hope for as an mm-hmm. artist is to grow and grow in your craft and for your product to reflect, you know, so that record comes out, uh, 2000, uh, 2026, you know, that it should reflect all those years of, right, of right. artistry. At least I feel for myself, I, I want to hear that 
that growth for myself. That's what will please me as a producer too. Do you um, self-manage your time and say, okay, I'm going to put an album out in two years and I got to get to work? Or is it just the natural flow of when it comes to you, it comes to you? A little bit of both. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I believe in setting micro goals. <laughs> so do And I, I really enjoy producing uh-huh. the music as the musician. And then the vocals, I kind of drag ass on a little bit. <laughs> I'm like, I'll get to it. I'll get it done. I'll, I'll record it, you know. So, um, I, but I try, again, I try to set the micro goals. I, I would like to have, you know, two songs in mm-hmm. the pre-production, at least finished, you know, each month, two songs a month. Mm-hmm. Um, and that way I can move it. You know, you, you gain some yardage on it right, right. without getting to look where I have, where I really procrastinated and been like, how am I, how am I going to, and then cause you also have to surrender it at some point, right, right. you know, you, art is surrendered. You have to surrender it at some point so that when it's time to do that, I'm not literally sitting there to the last moment, which I've done mastering, <laughs> which is when I pull my hair out that I don't have <laughs> that, uh, you know, you're sitting there and, and for, you know, point to, for a point of a decibel, mm-hmm. you're sitting there for three hours, just trying to get the snare right or this level right. right. So, uh, yeah, now I set the micro goals and I try to stay on track. Do it, I mean, do albums and LPs still have artwork and do you participate, participate in that process? I usually do it all myself. Just do it, do it Your yourself. Pop pop music, exactly. <laughs> do it yourself, pop music, and it's fine. Um, so it's not as, as, uh, how would you say, as much as it used to be. It's sort mm-hmm. of like the liner, liner notes in the booklet. You know, mm-hmm. now you pretty much have the, uh, the cover. And, and if it, you're yeah. going to do a back cover right, and that's right. it. And then all the promos are really kind of where all the work goes and having however long you're going to do that first round of promotion, second round of promotion, how many promos you want to go. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of where all the, the digital art legwork comes in at. But yeah, I like to, I like to, or if I decide that I'm going to let somebody else do it, then I just try to really just drop the rope. Like I, someone wanted to uh, remix uh, my song to spirit. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, that, that'd be great. And he was like, let me know if you want this. Or if you, I was like, nope, I, this is, because then I might as well just do it myself. <laughs> you know what out. I mean? Exactly. <laughs> I feel like, again, it's an exercise in ego. Like, right. why would I have somebody remix it if I'm just going to micromanage? So yeah, if I'm having somebody else do something and I try to just sit my ass down and do the job. Because <laughs> I don't want to be micromanaged either. Right, so. right. So do you tour? Do you go out and do gigs? Yes. So, uh, I mean, that's really what I live for. Mm-hmm. You know, being there and, and getting the opportunity, the extreme blessing to share space with people and share music and maybe offer something of value in that moment. Um, and just if I'm on stage for 15 minutes, I just want to love on everybody in that space for 15 minutes. So that's really the reason I I I, I do this work. Uh, so during the summer and the spring, I usually do a lot of uh, music festivals, brides, mm-hmm. um, outdoor-ish right. stuff. And then uh, in the fall months, um, pretty much late October through early December, it's usually a lot of college touring, okay. which is great because you you get the opportunity to spend time with these young folks who are maybe just starting to figure out life for themselves. You know, they're stepping out of their, uh, you know, the mental conditioning right. from their home and their parents, and they're trying to make sense of life in the world for themselves. So I really am, uh, I really, I get kind of chills just talking about, but I appreciate that, that blessing and that opportunity to hopefully I can offer something of of value in that moment. Yeah. So what would you tell to a younger person that's interested in um, going your path and becoming a performance artist and musician, especially someone of Native American indigenous background, mm-hmm. what would you say to them in advice? I would say own as much of yourself as you can. Um, if you can write, mm-hmm. um, you know, whatever you, you do, uh, do all the things. Mm-hmm. Copyright your music. For $50, it's not worth the migraine of <laughs> going to court. All these court calls, you know what I mean? Right. So invest in yourself first. And I found that that's, the, you know, there's that saying, don't tell me what you're going to do. Show me what you've done and then maybe I'll cut the check. Mm-hmm. So really making that initial investment in yourself first, I think is so crucial if mm-hmm. you, and, and it also depends on speaking specifically to being a, a musician, if you want to be a singer or if you want to be in the music business. It's not if you want to be in the music business, you better say I'll be up on the business. Right, bit. right. You can be a singer and work in clubs and just kind of run around town forever, you know, right. but if you want to 
really be in the music business, you have to make those initial investments yourself. And to that, start where you are, use what you have. If you're just starting out your career, nobody expects you to be Beyonce. But I think if you <laughs> if you show that, you know, and Beyonce ain't even, you know, as yeah. we think of her, you know, she's got a team. Mm-hmm. So if it's you, you know, and most of the time, my creative team has been one to four people, <laughs> you know, so start where you are, use what you have and to thine own self be true. So after 2026 in your next album, what's the next step for Tony Enos? I'm just going to get prettier now. <laughs> <laughs> um, again, I think just keep growing uh, as, as an artist, um, uh, maybe producing for others some more. Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoy that. Uh, I enjoy working with new artists, um, helping them find their voice. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not easy to be that vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, just, I, I love to help and I love to see new artists get their, their feet under them and, and right. step into themselves. So a, a lot more of that. I hope. Is there anyone out there that you that you can think of that you really want to work with that you haven't yet? Uh, there's, there's, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of folks. Um, I always thought, uh, so there's a, a new artist, a new queer artist. His name is Troy. I'm going to trash his last name. Troy Sevian, I think his name is. Name sounds familiar. I should probably Google it. So I'm pronouncing his name right. He has a song out called Rush, but he's a new uh, sort of dance music artist. And I think it would be really fun and cool to collaborate with him. Um, and if you should hear this and I trash his name, I, I apologize. <laughs> um, I think, uh, which would kind of be really interesting, um, Matteo Bocelli. So Andrea Bocelli's son. Mm-hmm. He's incredible. Yeah. Uh, so to work with somebody like that, and I listen, he has a new album out. It's very mid-tempo. There's not a lot of dance, right? Uh, or there's pretty much no dance. So right. I, I was like, God, what would it sound like with this kind of voice if he were to really like slam something down right, and put right. down a, a dance check? So Matteo Bocelli, I think that would, that would be amazing, but I'm always open to collaboration. I love the the spirit of collaboration. So you mentioned Roger, are mm-hmm. there any other native and non-native, uh, artists that really have influenced your your path Buffy St. Marie I would love to work I would love to write and produce something for her but, but she, I mean she's a songwriter you know mm-hmm. that's who she is she's right. a, and she's someone who has definitely uh, influenced I covered her Up Where We Belong um, I always loved her version you know the everybody is used to hearing the the orchestral right. you know either the film score or uh, you know in that last like five minutes it's like big band and it's you my mom said when when we went to the movies to to see that she said it was so loud the music at the end I said they was trying to sell that record job they wanted you to go home and buy the record but um but I've always really endeared to her songwriter version which is acoustic and just really sweet and vulnerable so that was kind of how I modeled my cover mm-hmm. but uh yeah and then all her socio-political uh, music and, and talking about Native issues and land and, and ethical treatment of land mm-hmm. and uh, land back and, you know, the government. Uh, yeah, she was a, a tremendous influence on me. Yeah. Is there anything that you haven't done that you really want to set your mind to and, and achieve at some point? I would like to do more, more acting, uh, more film. I did a, a small project um, with uh, Amarinda in... Uh, New York City. And it was just a small uh, side role. I got to play a college kid <laughs> at 30 something. But um, uh, th- that should be coming out uh, pretty soon. Um, and of course, I'm blacking out on the name of, of the film. But uh, that should be coming out soon. But it's it's by Amarinda. Um, but I, I would love to center more queer stories and see mm-hmm. that uh, really become more commonplace than you know, when you're flipping through TV and you're like, oh my God, it's a gay, it's a gay movie. Like right. out of 150 channels, this is the one, the one network showing a gay film. So I would, I'm a little intimidated by script writing. It seems so daunting. Um, but if you don't write it, it doesn't happen. True. So you got to tell a story. You might as well tell it yourself. Exacto. Yeah. So I would like to uh, try and prioritize that in the years to come. Do you think you'll want to do a screen? Uh, a script? <sighs> Again, I, so much of my career has just been necessity. Out of necessity, I've had to do X, Y, and Z. So, you know, I'll probably just do yeah, it right. anyway. <laughs> if, I don't do it, if I don't do it, it won't. You know, nobody's going to tell your stories for you. Exactly. And if they do, it's usually 100 years after you're dead. So <laughs> I think, I, you know, just out of necessity, I'll, I'll just, I'll do it myself. And I think that's one of the important things in the industry too, is knowing when you're 
when you need some outside assistance. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm good at it yet or not, but if I'm not, rest assured, I'll be you know calling on some <laughs> script writers I know. So to the non-native, how would you describe the two-spirit identity? Because a lot of people don't understand the two-spirit identity. Right. It's an educational process. Fair and I think stuff. the dictionary terms just don't really fit. Right. They're very cut and dry. Right. So I think, you know, those of us who are familiar with the term two-spirit, especially within our respective nations, mm-hmm. know it's an umbrella term mm-hmm. um, to unite, you know, queer indigenous people, indigo-queers. Um, but, but that doesn't negate the terms that our respective nations have for their gender fluid, gender queer, uh, gender non-conforming people mm-hmm. and what those roles may have looked like in those particular tribes because this is what life was like living on that land. Um, I think it's a, it's a lot of information um, to, to, throw, to throw up on someone who isn't native right? Uh, to try and get them to really understand sort of, you know, a bit, or indigenous concepts if they're right. not familiar with them. Um, and why being two-spirit is different from being gay, that you could be two-spirit and gay, but to be two-spirit is to, at least for me, it definitely has had a spiritual component. And I always say for myself, I can only speak for myself, um, I'm very, you know, to look at me, mm-hmm. very male presenting, but inside of me, there's a mother and there's a mother instinct and a very maternal instinct, for lack of a better mm-hmm. term. And for me, that's where the intersectionality is. And so that's how I've sort of taken up the role, looking after our young folks, our youth, especially our indigenous youth, trying to pour good medicine into their spirits. And then the same with our elders. Um, pray prayers that need to be prayed. Um, foster healing, if mm-hmm. I can. Um, uh, so for me, that's what the, the taking up the role of Two-Spirit has, has looked like. Um, there's some really amazing uh, Two-Spirit societies across Turtle Island, or what they now call the United States. Right. Um, uh, there's the Tulsa Two Spirit Society, obviously mm-hmm. here. Um, uh, one of that just holds a really, really special place in my heart is the Montana Two Spirit Society. Um, their gathering is is just incredible every year, and there's just always amazing medicine, and uh, it's just an experience that I'm great for every time that I've ever been to one. And that's the Montana one. The Montana Two Spirit Society. Yeah, they're yeah. they're really. Uh, Fantastic, and they're very careful and intentional, and um, they make sure that, that there's you know good medicine if they're having uh, yeah it's it's a great gap yeah <laughs> without without getting too much into it because um, there really isn't any or a lot of two spirit festivals or two spirit organizations right. they're very few and far between yeah um, which hopefully will help with identity and security and education mm-hmm. to both uh, natives and, and non natives right. uh, of the identity and purpose and the the understanding, I think. Yeah. Um so where does Tony want to be in 10 years? Um just healthy and with my family and with the people I love. That's all I could really ask for. Um for me, my three-legged stool is safety, peace, and freedom. Um so really still fostering those things and taking care of the folks I love. Mm-hmm. To me, that's success. Um being able to be there for the things that my family needs. Um, I would like children. We'll see uh, where, where that goes. Into, I always say I'm on the five-year plan, but the five-year plan keeps getting moved. So, that number uh, keeps on increasing. It, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> so I would love uh, children and to have a family. We'll see what happens, everything in divine order. But again, just creating, uh, always making music. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think that's something I'll, I'll do until, until I finish it. And it's time to go. All right. Yeah. So Tony, tell us a little bit about being an artist and living with HIV. Sure. Uh, So I was diagnosed with HIV uh, two weeks before my 22nd birthday, I believe Uh it was, in 2006. Um, And I always said it was like the biggest heartbreak of my life at the time. And with the the awareness that I had and with the tools that I had or maybe didn't have, I should say, at the time, it was was difficult. Um, And there was a lot of years of unpacking. all the stigma that I carried, all the shame mm-hmm. that I carried, which really wasn't mine. It was, mm-hmm. you know, I had initially felt like I, in my head, <laughs> mm-hmm. I felt like I let everybody down, like I had become a statistic. Um, so I just, I had a lot of healing to do. I was very slow to accountability. So I couldn't understand why God let this happen to me. You right. know, 
And so again, uh, I think taking accountability for your own healing and not hinging it or something or someone outside of yourself, Mm -hmm. at least for me has been, because as long as it hinges on someone or someone else, you have to wait for them to change, for them to be right. But if you take accountability and responsibility for your own healing, then you get to move through it at your your own pace and a much quicker pace. Um, And so, you know, I wasn't coerced. I wasn't forced. I chose to have unprotected sex. And, you know, that was the luck of the draw. Mm -hmm. Um, I think people tend to um, demonize folks uh, who get HIV. Uh, I think especially a lot of, there's a lot of religious stigma, kind of like, well, that's what you get for being a fast ass. And the truth is, that was um, the first long-term relationship I had ever been in and the first time I had ever had unprotected sex. So again, that was, it was just the luck of the draw. Mm-hmm. Um, but once I was able to find the purpose in it um, and really get involved and uh, that really moved the needle on, on my healing. Um, I didn't come out about it until, um, what was that? 2016, I think when the positive album was released. Um, I didn't tell my parents uh for eight years which i was glad about because by the time i did i had started right away working um in nonprofit and public health and i became a, an hiv tester and counselor and case manager so i was able to tell them with eight years of knowledge right, right. versus the initial panic and right. brokenness that i had felt um so i was glad that i waited the eight years to tell them um and then really i the rest of it was I just wanted to be able to work and I was afraid mm-hmm. that I wouldn't be able to work. A lot of times when you tour um, or when you're doing a, 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 a shit like even in theater, um, I've done shows where, you know, there's no understudy. So you have to sign mm-hmm. that you, you promise that you will make every show. And I didn't want people to think that I was sick or that I was going to get sick right. and that I couldn't make every show or that I wasn't in, insurable, you mm-hmm. know, when you, when you go to tour. Um, so I was worried about not being able to work. Uh, and so then finally, um, the catalyst was I, I performed at um, the United States Conference on AIDS. Um, we had the largest native contingent that year. Really? Um, so I was the only uh, indigenous two-spirit performer. Um, I got to open the conference and I decided that I was going to stay in the closet about it, that I wasn't. Gonna, and I felt like I missed so many opportunities for community um to just be like hey me too or it get you know this this too shall pass or whatever um and so again when we when we we left literally when we got in the taxi to the train station i was like this was so stupid i'll never do this again i'll never stay closeted in an affirming space um and it was it was such a wonderful and affirming space and i just caused myself excuse me so much more anxiety uh, and stress than i needed to we started to talk about what it would look like if i were to come out and I was like, well, you know, music, I'm a musician. That's what right. I do. I should come out through music. Um, and so that's sort of, and then coming home, speaking of the process, I was walking home from the grocery store and I wrote uh, the positive uh, song that's on the, the title track of the record. I was like, well, I guess there's no turning back now. <laughs> uh, and so that's sort of how that that came to be. And I, I decided, and I always knew it would come to me when it was time. Mm-hmm. That was just time. And I was tired of carrying it. By the time I came out about it, I was exhausted of carrying it. So it's, it's never been something, something I've regretted. Being a public figure, do you still see a lot of stigma, stigma and preconceived ideas being an HIV artist from the time you came out and told everyone to now? There's still some stigma. Mm -hmm. Um, And then sometimes we go from one stigma to the other. (laughs) And so we're to a new stigma. And so it was so funny to see the age of prep come in. Right. And then you hear people being called prep whores and things like that, like putting people down for being on prep and for taking uh, control of their own health and their Mm -hmm. own sexual health. And I was like, what are we doing? (laughs) Why why is that a thing? Um, So I've seen... I don't want to pretend that I haven't seen the growth and mm-hmm. and the good things and and the the growth in programming and outreach and access, which is important, making people feel safe. And then I think making sure that we are creating programs and spaces where our two spirits and our indigenous people, and especially people that are living on the res, um, feel safe and can access. Uh, you know, if if 
Helen lives around the block and works at IHS too. And you know, she's going to tell all your business. Of course, you're not going to go get tested right, there. Right. Of course, you're not going to go get, get prepped there. Um, so making sure that there's safer spaces and, and access. And access, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and Montana Two-Spirit Society, again, they are one of the, um, David Herrera, who uh, works with the, um, the LGBTQ clinic out there and make sure that there's text testing, mm -hmm. sorry, testing and access. Um, they're really wonderful. They have testing every year at the gathering. Um, so they're really wonderful in their HIV AIDS work. Do you see a, a level of discrimination higher on the native American side of being HIV than the non-native? I see information deserts. Mm -hmm. And so I try to be understanding that that's intentional. That's intention, you know, that's intentional by the government, mm -hmm. systemically, systematically. There's information deserts and there's lag. Um, so I I try not to again have an exercise in ego when I come across that and try to be of of service um and, and offer some assistance. Again, I see fear. Mm -hmm. You know, I think people are afraid. People are afraid to people don't want to be guilty by association. Right. Um, so I, I see fear. And so I try to uh, offer the love that can hopefully help in dissolving that that fear. But yeah, it's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, it's still a thing. It's just education. I think people yeah. people like you that get out there and get the word and tell people and tell the, your story, I think helps provide a light at the end of the tunnel, especially well, if you. a son or a daughter that could be HIV. Um, so congratulations and thank you for doing what you do. Thank you. I appreciate it. Tell us a little bit about growing up in Philly. Sure. Is it Southside? South Philly, man. <laughs> Born and raised. Um, and being Native American and LGBT, a gay person and two-spirit. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that try, and everybody knows I'm like the unofficial, you know, welcome ambassador for <laughs> Philly. But one of the things that uh, does drive me crazy and that I work toward and that I'm glad to see other uh, indigenous folks and organizations working toward, I think is the lack of awareness. Um, when I lived in New York, um, New York is is very, you know, there's a, a large concentration of urban Indians in, mm. in New York, very intertribal. And so I felt like you were allowed to be a contemporary there. Like right. we're also your your neighbors and your doctors and your, and in Philly, sometimes it feels like you're still the statue on the front of city hall. Hmm. So and I feel like there's also a lot of cognitive dissonance in Philly uh, where indigenous folks are concerned. So there's still some work to do. Um, I am proud of the progress we have made. You walk through South Philly now and I'm always elated to see the gay, the rainbow flags that right. are hanging outside of people's houses now. Because when I was growing up, your house would have got egged. <laughs> you know what I mean? If you, if you tried that. So it, it's great to see. But again, people being there people creating visibility, mm -hmm. um, having uh, conversations and relationships with other people, you know, in the middle is where the understanding happens. Mm -hmm. um, so like major, major props and shout out to those people who have moved the needle on awareness and change in Philly and, and South Philly in particular, because, you know, I was in fights every day growing up. Right, right. Every day. Not, I wouldn't say... It's the grass is not always greener on the other side of the track. Sometimes yeah. it's a little harder. <laughs> what would you tell your your nineteen year old self if you could? What would you tell them? You, oh my, uh, you have to put a value on your love first uh, before you can expect anybody else to. Um, not to go looking for that in other people or places, mm -hmm. but really to to cultivate that in yourself. So put a value on your love uh, first and on yourself first. Um, if it doesn't matter in a year, it doesn't matter. I think when we're young, I think even, especially in grade school, and I was pretty bad in grade school, but I wish I was so much worse. <laughs> I would have, you could say, you know, that's sort of your, your scope of awareness. You're right. like, this is going to be my life for, forever. And actually it's over in eight years. Yeah. I wish I was a terror, but, uh, yeah, if it doesn't matter in a year, it doesn't matter. Don't, don't carry unnecessary spiritual and emotional baggage and don't carry what's not yours to carry. Mm -hmm. And that's not something that we teach young folks a lot. Um, and it's, that is one of the reasons I love uh, doing college touring mm -hmm. so much and helping young folks begin to really uh, step away from hopefully a well-intentioned uh, 
mental conditioning right. from their family and caretakers and really helping them uh, cultivate agency and in, in finding out what the world means to them. So all those things. <laughs> <laughs> well, your story is amazing. Have you, have you mentored anyone? Has anyone come up to you and say, please take me under your wing? Um, I've had some, <laughs> it's so funny. I have people come up to me and be like, sign me. Why don't you sign me? Sign me to your record label. <laughs> and I'm like, there's no reason in 2023 that I should sign you and take cuts of your money and whatever, you know? So I, I think people know that I'm there for, and I mean, even as it pertains to uh, HIV and, and people always know that I'm, I'm there and that they mm-hmm. can send me a message, uh, you know, if God forbid they should get that diagnosis, or even if they just have a, a question or whatever. Right. Um, so I'm, I'm there and I want people to know I'm there and that, that I'm a safe person to reach out to, to come out to, to ask questions, to make mistakes, to, you know. Uh, so I've, I've been blessed to, I haven't had children yet, but I haven't been short on, right. on, on children to nurture or, or young folks to, to nurture. So I'm, I'm, I've been blessed in that sense to have. Have you ever thought about if you didn't take this journey to be a performing artist and musician, what else you'd be doing? I'd be a baseball player. Really? I love baseball. (laughs) I really, really do. Yeah. Who's your favorite fan? Or who favorite, uh, not band, damn it. Uh, Who's your favorite team? The the Phillies, of course. Yeah. You you need me to turn my hat back around. There (laughs) you go. It's, you know, we're the worst fans and we're the best fans in, in baseball, but it, and especially right now, this year, we have an incredible, t- and they're just hungry. They want it. You mm-hmm. know, they play like they want it. But I love the game. I, I played on the the gay leagues in Philly for a really? while. Well, yeah, it was a blast. I what position? I uh, center field, number 31. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was That's great. where all the fly balls go. Right? Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's a big responsibility. But I'm fast. I'm short, but I'm fast. You know? <laughs> I outran it. We were, my ex and I living in New York. It was the summer, so I had flip-flops on. We almost missed the train. I was like, we are not missing this train. So I outran the train and my ex went, you outran a train in flip-flops. That's pretty important. <laughs> so I'm short, but I'm fast. <laughs> Any closing comments? Any word of advice for a listener that's same trajectory, same pathway as you and not knowing where to go and yeah. being two-spirit? And I think just center and prioritize your mm-hmm. own joy. You are allowed to center and prioritize your own joy, your own health. Uh, that's my guiding star for me now, you know, entering 40, I'll be 40, you know, next year. Is it healthy? Is it healthy for me to to do this, to engage in this? Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have your health. You don't really have much of anything. Right. So really centering my joy, my peace, my health. And again, I'm coming to this now at mm-hmm. 40. So if I can help young folks cut those teeth and, and create that lexicon for themselves. Yeah. To thine own self be true. Center your own health. Center your own joy. And uh, to, to thine own self be true. So do you have any tour dates coming up in uh, early 2024? You know? Nothing nothing as of yet. Nothing booked yet? Nothing as of yet. So we'll see. Things uh, things all... Sometimes start it's start so forming and developing. Yeah. And-, it's, and sometimes folks wait two weeks to... Uh, <laughs> people go for that on Indigenous Peoples Day and Native American uh, Heritage Month. Right, right. They don't think about it all year. And then they realize they got to spend some money and create some programs. Culturally now. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, that you know, I'll be the, the usual suspects. I'll be at the all the prides and the, you know, all the, all the summertime festivities. Right, I'll be there. right. Well, Tony, is there anything else you want to promote? And where can someone uh, reach out to you? Or you have a website, yeah, Instagram, uh, and all that other good stuff. Yes, sir. Uh, TonyEnosMusic.com, T-O-N-Y-E-N-O-S Music.com. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, just at Tony Enos, T-O-N-Y-E-N-O-S. Perfect. Yeah. Well, sir, it's been a pleasure. And thank you so much for coming in today. Likewise. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. What a love.
been in every corner of the world Searching for myself too And I've come back down the highway